I'm excited to be with you as we continue um, in this little mini-series called Victory. And remember, this is a season that we're in as a fellowship together, walking in what Jesus has already given us. Pastor Phil has made it clear the last two weeks that if you're in Christ, you already have victory. You already have victory. Say this with me. I have victory in Jesus. Now say it like you mean it. I have victory in Jesus. Amen. I have victory in Jesus, right? And so the truth be told is we've already been given that at the cross. When Jesus says, it's finished, it's finished. You and I have been accepted by God, completely accepted by him, not based on anything you've done, more or less anything you haven't done, based on what Jesus Christ did for you at the cross, you are now completely accepted. You have been washed free of all of your sins. You now have been made radiant to a loving and living God, and you now have access to the throne room of God. These are powerful and profound truths, but the question is, are we walking in them? Are we living in such a way that we're actually appropriating the victory that Jesus Christ has already given us. Pastor Phil, for the last two weeks, did an amazing job of challenging us in this way. If you haven't heard those messages, please go back and listen to them. But he also made it very clear. There's a part for us to play. There's a part for us to play. I call that the path of disciplined grace. It's the grace of God because you can't do anything apart from his grace. Amen? But there's a discipline, a way in which you have to walk to receive the grace of God in your life for everyday living. Today's message is called Experiencing Victory in the Battlefield of Your Mind. And this is part one in what we'll be walking through together for five weeks on Wednesday evenings. Just by out of curiosity, show of hands, how many of you intend to actually come on some Wednesday evenings? Throw your hands up. Just want to get a, a, a sense of how many um, booklets we'll need to make. If you come, you will be receiving this little 28-page booklet, and we'll be working through this together for five weeks. These are things the Lord has revealed to me over 35 years in my walk with him, but also in the last few months, just trusting him for more. But today is part one of that, and so we're going to begin by praying, and I'm going to pray from the Word of God in the, cha- in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. So if you would be kind enough to join me as I pray for our time. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us now, calling to us, speaking to us. Lord, help us to be attentive to your voice. You've told us that you've given us victory and that we now have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand just how much you love us, how much we can trust you, and how victorious you are. Lord, truth be told, hundreds of us here today are probably exhausted from attempting to live life in our own strength, our own resources. You never intended for us to live life like that. For it is written by you through your son, Paul, that you insist that we no longer live as the world does in the futility of their thinking. The world is darkened in their understanding and separated from the life that is in you because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to every form of sensuality with a continual lust for more. That, however, is not the way of life that you taught us. Not when we heard about you and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in your son, Jesus Christ. We were taught 
with regard to our former way of life, to put off our old selves, which are being corrupted by our deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of our minds. To put on the new self, created to be like you, Jesus, in true righteousness and holiness. So we agree with you together now. Apart from you, we can't change our lives. But with you, all things are possible, Lord. Change our minds, Lord Jesus. Help us to turn to you, the one, the only one, who can transform us from the inside out. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Okay, we're going to start with the truth that you have all been given a brain. Um, Do me a favor, raise your hand if you have a brain. All right, now what just happened was I wrote that down earlier and my synapses and my neurons were firing when I wrote it down. And then as a result of that, it was downloaded into my nerve endings. I actually spoke and asked you a question. My vocal cords vibrated and those vibrations moved through the medium of the air and they went into your head. The vibrations literally went into your ears and it vibrated your eardrums. And when your eardrums vibrated, there were neurons firing. These, these amazing little things called cells in your brain that fired and synapses, which are gates and neural networks. And, and, and what happened was that information came into your brain. You processed it like a split second. And then those, those neurons fired and they sent nerve impulses down to your arm and it controlled your muscles and your arm went up in the air. That is a freaking miracle. But I want to tell you, this is, this is an attempt that scientists have of explaining the brain. This is just the basic information. You see all these little words and little lines. Scientists, all good scientists will tell you, we really have no clue about the brain. My neurologist years ago told me, Jeff, the brain is smarter than we are. And I went, what does that mean? <laughs> but the brain is a mystery. Not only is it a mystery, but it is a miracle. It is a miracle. Listen, the average human brain weighs about three pounds. Three pounds. Some of the smartest people, like Einstein, he had actually a less than average weight brain. His was like 2.7 pounds. But it was the density of neurons in his brain that kind of made the difference. Your brain is 80% water. It's three pounds, and 80% of that is water. Scientists estimate that your brain contains 86 billion neurons. Now, I don't know if you have an idea what a billion is. How many people know what a thousand is? How many people know what a million is? All right, so 1,000 millions, 1,000 millions is a billion. So 81,000 millions is how many neurons your brain contains. 86. Each neuron can transmit 1,000 nerve impulses per second. So you have 86 billion of these things. Every single neuron can transmit 1,000 nerve impulses per second. A piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand contains 100,000 neurons and 1 billion synapses. That is gateways. They all communicate with each other in these things called neural networks. And your brain processes an average of 70,000 thoughts per day. Now, I don't know about you, but I am overwhelmed by my brain in my brain. Anybody with me? (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Do you think you can manage 86 billion neurons? 
You're like, I can't even manage my to-do list every day. (laughs) The point I'm trying to make is you cannot manage your own brain. And you were never intended to do so. You were never intended to live life on your own. When God put us down here, he put us down in a relationship with himself. And he longed to fellowship with us. And he was the one that we needed for everything, everything. And then sin came. And sin broke that relationship, but Jesus came back to restore that relationship. And now God can be so present in your life. He walks with you and he talks with you. And he tells you, yeah, that you are his own. So scientists say that you have this thing called neuroplasticity. Your brain is actually changing all the time. It's growing. It's being formed all the time. Right now, your brain is being formed. But your your brain is formed primarily based on what you feed it. What you feed it. You know, in, in labs, they feed rats certain types of poisons that develop cancers. Your brain is like that. Depending on what you feed your brain, your brain will form based on what you give it. What are you feeding your brain? Are you watching the news? Please be careful. Are you watching TV? Oh, good God, step back. Are you on social media? Watch out. Let me tell you something, folks. This thing called a cell phone is called a cell phone for a reason. There's great potential for bondage here, but I'm going to tell you something that John Eldridge said. He said, never in the history of mankind have we ever had access to all of the words pain and suffering at an instant moment, and we carry it in our pocket. You were not made for that. Your soul was never intended to carry that, and yet we take it in all the time. We're looking at this thing, and we're listening to messages from our friends, and we're watching TV, and we're on social media. What are you feeding your brain? You see, God calls us to be very, very intentional about this. Now, I can tell you up front, I do not have any control over my own brain, only to bring it to one who does. And so, biblically, we're going to talk today about the stewardship responsibility that you have for your brain. No one else will steward your brain except you. What's a steward? Well, a steward's that have been entrusted with something that's really not theirs. Your brain doesn't belong to you. How many of you are in Christ Jesus? Put your hand up, please. You do not belong to you anymore. You are bought at a price. God now owns you. Now, by the way, before he owned you, Satan owned you. You never owned you. You were created to be owned. And when you were sold out to sin, Satan owned you. But guess what? Jesus Christ, through his blood, shed his blood for you, redeemed you, and bought you back. He bought you back. So you belong now to God. Your brain is really his brain. And a steward looks to the one who owns it to actually determine how to manage it. So your job in stewardship is to take your brain to God. But I fear, people of God, that we are not taking our brains to God, that we are not taking our souls to God, that we are not taking our bodies to God. I fear that sometimes we look just like the people in the world around us. We're sucking up all the information of the world and all the lies with it. 
And then what we do is we start walking in the ways of the world and we feel the weight of the world and we're carrying all the worries of the world. And God says, no, not not with you. Not so with you. You are bought back. You are free in me. So God needs us to turn from the ways of the world to him. That is our stewardship responsibility. Listen to Romans 12 too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do any of you ever get confused about what God's will is? Show of hands. Would you prefer that God would just speak to you in an audible voice and tell you? Well, God has spoken. It's right here. The question is, are you and I listening? God's willing to speak because he loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He's so willing to speak to you. The question is, are you and I listening? That's our stewardship. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. If you come on Wednesday night, we'll be talking about what deceitful desires are. But I'll give you a hint. It's anything that you want more than him. It's anything that you are deceived into thinking that life is found there. How many of you are married? How many of you wish you were married? All the married people should have raised their hands. <laughs> I don't think I asked that right. I'm not going to ask you how many people are married and wish they weren't married. I always tell young married, unmarried people that the, the only thing worse than wish, being single and wishing you were married was being married and wishing you were single. I forgot why I asked that question. My brain just... Oh, here it is. I love my wife. Where is she? She's not raising her hand. Chris is pointing the finger back there. Oh, there she is. Hey, Spark. She is an awesome wife. Would you please give my wife a round of applause for Jesus Christ and her? Now, look. Tracy knows this, and I've known this. We've been married 30 years, and it took us about 28 to learn this. But here's the truth. She's a great wife, but she's a lousy God. I happen to be a really good husband. Right, Spark? (laughs) But I am a lousy, lousy God. You see, if you're looking for life in that person sitting next to you, guess what? It's not found there. That's a deceitful desire. If you're looking for life in food, guess what? It's not found there. That is a deceitful desire. If you are looking for life in money, guess what? It's not found there. That is a deceitful desire. Some of you in here are just thinking in your minds, if I just get enough money, then I'll be okay. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The only one who can give you the security that you're longing for, the only one who can give you the significance that you're longing for is the one who is everything. And his name is Jesus. And I'm here to bear witness today to him, to him. He is the one you are longing for in your deepest heart. But your brain is your responsibility to steward and take to him so that you're not buying into the deceitful desires of this world, but that you are to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Some of you might be saying, Jeff, preach it, man. This person sitting next to me, they really need some help. But here's what I have to say to you, and we need to say this out loud together. Please, one, two, three, we all need help. This is one of those places where the ground is truly level at the foot of the cross, folks. The brain 
is definitely a mystery. It's an incredible miracle, but can I tell you the human brain, because of sin, it's a mess. It's just a mess. Now, let me prove that to you. How many of you, and we've asked this question here before, but I'm going to ask it again. How many of you would like your thoughts from this past week? Put up the screen here for everybody to see. Any takers? Not a one in the house. You know, somehow I knew that. Why? Because your brain is a mess just like mine. Now, by the way, if you're in Jesus, it's a beautiful mess, and he's working on straightening it out. But all of us have problems upstairs. All of us need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. God can change your mind. My help comes from the Lord, David says, who made heaven and earth. And John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. The scripture is clear. We desperately need God to actually be transformed by the renewing of our minds. The scripture says, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, it's not enough to put the truth in. This is what the world will tell you. And by the way, many Christian psychologists will tell you this. And many well-meaning Christians will tell you this. Just put truth in your mind. Just put truth in your mind and then you'll be okay. But folks, that is being reduced to something called the power power of positive thinking. And can I tell you something? It does not work. You may actually get some relief from putting positive thoughts in your mind, but you're not making the connection with the one who is the truth. You see, the truth will set you free, Jesus Christ said. If the truth sets you free, then deception causes bondage. If you are walking in areas of bondage in your life, relationally, financially, and in other areas, if you're in bondage, it's because you're believing lies. And let me tell you something, you don't have to go looking for lies. They come to you. But this whole idea of just putting truth in our minds, you know what that is? That's human effort. That's human effort. And folks, you don't need just to put truth in your mind. You need to have a deep, intimate relationship with the one who is truth. The one who's wanting to speak to you right now. He wants to speak to your heart. He wants to speak to your mind. He wants to speak to your entire person. And when you hear his voice, he is the one who will set you free. He is the one who will transform you from the inside out. Listen to what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now, by the way, Jesus, while he was here on planet Earth, encountered a lot of religious people. And in one place, he said, you study the scriptures, this word right here, ink on a page, that diligently testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me. For if you did, I would give you life. You see what he's saying? He's saying it's not about a bunch of rules, guys. It's about a relationship with the one who loves you. And God longs for you to actually experience the freedom of that relationship, the ability to hear his voice, to have a vibrant and ongoing, life-giving, consistent relationship with him. You see, I got this from Pastor Ben. You've learned most of the lies that you have in your life by experience. You didn't learn a lie just by someone telling it to you. You've learned it by experience here on planet Earth. If you're going to read learn the truth, you need to learn truth by experiencing God. You can't just put truth in your mind and expect it to transform you. You need to have an experience of God that will actually bring forth transformation in your inner being. It's about knowing him. It's not about just knowing about him. 
You see, you can enter into this word and read it with the Holy Spirit for transformation, or you can read this word without the Holy Spirit for just information. You know why they call seminary cemetery? Do you know that? that they do? Most of us who have gone to seminary, at some point we call it cemetery. You know why? Because a lot of times what we do is we get in here and we start analyzing all these words and we start cutting them apart and we start exegeting scripture and all that can be really good. And you know what? You can do that and not have a relationship with Jesus. This is about a relationship with God. And can I tell you something? He's real. He's so real. He's closer than your breath. And he longs to speak to you words of love. He rejoices over you with singing, the scripture says. And he wants to set you free. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Now listen, I have good news for you. He's with you. He's for you. He does live you, love you. And he lives inside of you. Would you say those four things out loud with me? He's with you. He's for you. He loves you, and he lives in you. We're going to change it, and you're going to say me instead of you. He's with me. He's for me. He loves me, and he lives in me. If you are in Christ Jesus, he lives in you. But, and that is a big but, your relationship with him is on his terms, not on yours. And herein lies the rub Every single one of us think that we know how our lives should go. And God says, no. No, you don't know how your life should go. That's an insult, don't you think? For those of us who have been working on trying to make a plan for our lives and figure this whole thing out, it's a little insulting for God to actually say, you have no clue how your life should go. How many of you people agree with God that you have no clue how your life should go? Right, now here's the truth. When we get to that humble place where we can actually agree with God in that, now we're at a very beautiful starting place because the starting place is he's God and we're not. That is a foundational truth of this scripture and anyone who has ever had a relationship with the living God, he is the sovereign God and he wants to destroy your literal, little self-sovereign. You have a little self-sovereign that lives inside of you. I know I do too, and it's called the flesh. And the flesh actually wants to call all the shots, and the flesh actually wants to make decisions about how our lives should go. Now, how often does Jesus interrupt that little self-sovereign and say, no, it's not going to go the way that you want it to go. It's going to go the way that I want it to go. We don't like hearing that. Much to the disappointment of people like Shirley MacLaine and others, we are not God. You know, Shirley MacLaine used to run up and down a beach saying, I am God, I am God. Do you even remember that? There are other people with nut jobs, I'm sorry, but they, they're, they're people God loves, but they're way out of their wig. How many people here would say they're God? All right, how many people here act like they're God? Put your hand up. Put your hand up. Look, here's the truth. So many of us act like we're God, and guess what we do? We exhaust ourselves. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, what he offers us is a so much better way than trying to live life on our own terms. 
But what we do is we exhaust ourselves trying to play God. And so today we're going to look at a scripture. By the way, I forgot to give you a warning. I'm really going to watch my time today because I am more than spiritually pregnant right now. I've been working on this for months, and I have a lot to deposit. But that lot is going to have to come out on some Wednesday nights and in some other places. And so please be praying that we land this plane sometimes before noon. <laughs> but I do remind you that in the time of J.S. Bach and others, church services were four to six hours. No, I, I hope, hope definitely won't. Well, this team would not let me land this at noon. So We're going to look at 1 Samuel 3. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. And I'm going to have it on the screen so you can actually look at it. There as well. We're going to look at the story of Eli and Samuel, and we're going to learn some things about how we play a part in hearing God's voice, because his voice is the one you need to hear. He is the one who will speak to you, and he will transform you by the renewing of your mind. He is the truth. So you're not looking for a bunch of principles. You're looking for a person, and he's real, and he will speak to you. This little story can teach us much about hearing from God, and we're going to be looking at this for five weeks on Wednesdays. Eli, he was a prophet and a priest. Now, there were many things that Eli did that were good. At times, he was a very godly man, but he failed to do one thing. He failed to restrain his sons in caring for the temple. They were priests as well. And as a result of that, God told him he was going to pour out judgment on him. They defiled the temple sexually, and they blasphemed God. His failure wasn't so much as a father, His failure was as a priest. See, the priest is responsible for protecting the house of God, the people of God, and Eli failed in that. Now, God still loved Eli, but there's a sowing and reaping principle, and and God poured out, he said he was going to pour out judgment on Eli for that sin. But Eli also was a mentor. He was raising up his successor. His successor's name was Samuel, and Samuel, you know, played an incredible part in the, in the story of David. You can read about that in the scriptures. But Samuel was to be the priest and prophet after Eli. And Samuel was de- dedicated to the Lord by his mom, and then Samuel was given by his mom to Eli to live with him and be raised as a priest. So in this story, Samuel was about 12 years old. And Samuel, by the way, at that age is a coming of age. In other words, he's at the age now where he's going to be bar mitzvahed. And at that time, what would be happening is that he would then be a man held accountable before God for his own life. At this point, he's probably a child, but just on the cusp of becoming a man. And so in this encounter, we're going to actually see Eli mentoring his successor. So read with me, please. We're going to start. I'm not out loud, but just follow along. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Stop. Not because God wasn't willing to speak, but because God's people were not willing to listen. You have to understand something. God is always willing to speak, but you need to be willing to listen. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, he was getting on in years, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Stop. Now, by the way, in the temple, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. That's where the ark of God was. Samuel was definitely not in that place. Because that was only the place where a priest could go once a year. So Samuel might, might have been in the holies here. He might have been somewhere else on another layer here of the temple. But he was laying down near the presence of God. 
you have to understand what the ark of God represented. It represented the very presence, the palpable presence of God, the Shekinah glory of the Lord. It represented his glory, his magnificence, his beauty, the one who everyone desperately needs. That's what it represented. And this is where Samuel was lying down near the presence of God. God put that there for a reason. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I I did not call you, go back and lie down, with a little tinge of frustration, possibly. So he went and lay down, and again the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. Now listen, Samuel did not yet know the Lord The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, there's a couple things to take away from this. Here's the first thing. You can be at the very center of all religious activity and not have a relationship with God. You can be at the very center of the very most religious places in the world and not be able to hear God's voice. Some of you here today may be here today and you still may not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so grateful you are here. But can we beg you to consider him? Can we beg you to consider just asking him to come into your heart? Let me tell you something. He said this, I will by no means turn away anyone who comes to me. He's ready to receive you and actually enter your life and make it beautiful for him. But we have to understand something. Coming to church does not make us a Christian. Attending religious activities and actually performing religious duties does not make us a believer or a follower of God. Only Jesus Christ can graft you into the family. Only Jesus Christ can bring you into the family. He is the way. So here's Samuel. He's a 12-year-old boy, but he doesn't know the Lord, and he's laying right down in the midst of the most religious activity there is. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. Now listen. Then Eli realized that it was the Lord who was calling the boy. Let me ask you a question. Do you know when the Lord is calling you? You see, the scripture is very clear. He says, My sheep know my voice. Do you know when the Lord is calling you? Eli realized at this very moment that it was the Lord that was actually speaking to Samuel. So Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. By the way, that's a posture. Lying down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Can you say those words with me? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Those are seven very important and profound words. Speak, Lord. That's seeking. For listening is the next words in the Hebrew. That's attentiveness. Is your servant. That's obedience. Speak, Lord. For listening is your servant. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there this time. Calling his other times. Samuel, Samuel. By the way, if he stood there and he's speaking, guess who he is? This is the very word of God. More than likely, this is Jesus Christ himself standing there talking to Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. See, he listened to his mentor. And then the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. 
He starts unfolding this whole thing, which we'll get into in a second. But let me tell you something. He called him, but he did not actually speak to him until Samuel showed a willingness to listen. Samuel showed a willingness to listen based on Eli's mentoring. And he said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God could have said in the first time, he could have said, Samuel. And then he ran to Eli, and God could have interjected. And he said, no, Samuel, it's God. He's God. He can do anything he wants. But he's teaching Samuel something here, and us too. God is going to speak more fully to you when you show him that you are willing to listen. Now, we all have problems with listening. We'll get to that in a second. But Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The Lord said, Samuel, see him about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering, that is, human sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Listen, he was afraid, he was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Stop. If you're going to get serious about listening to God, and hearing his voice, you are going to have a crisis of faith. Because God is God. And it's on his terms, not your own. Now get ready for an incredible ride. Because I'm telling you, if you're going to listen to the voice of God, he's going to prompt you to do things that you do not want to do. He's going to prompt you to do things that scare the living daylights out of you. But can I tell you, if you follow him in his strength and you actually obey him, you're going to come out on the other side stronger in him, more confident in him. How many of you want to be more confident in the Lord? Raise your hand. Can I tell you something? The time that is coming, the time that is set before him, it is ready for us to be a confident body of Christ. Because the days are getting darker. So Eli was afraid. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli about the vision. But Eli called and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it that he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he has told you. This is a test of a prophet. The prophet has been entrusted with the words of God. And the prophet is to deliver the words of God to the people of God. And Samuel, a 12-year-old prophet in the making, is being tested by God. And now Samuel stands at a crossroads. Am I going to tell him I'm deathly afraid? Or am I going to trust God with what he's entrusted to me? These next words are so beautiful. So Samuel told him everything. Samuel pushed through his fear by faith. Let me remind you that faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is doing what you know to be right in the midst of your fear. You don't sit around waiting to become unafraid. You actually walk through your fear trusting God and following him, and then something miraculous happens and you go, oh my gosh, that was Jesus. Now you have a new story to tell for him. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, and these are some of the most beautiful words of surrender I have ever heard. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Would you say those words with me? He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. 
Samuel has just delivered this, this crushing news to Eli. It's confirmation of what Eli already knew was coming. But he delivered it from God. And this is what Eli says. He is the Lord. I surrender myself to him because he's good. There's a couple phrases that I'm going to encourage you to pray. The first one is, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If you journal, write that in your journal every day. If you actually pray, pray that out loud. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. But here's another phrase that I would encourage you to memorize and speak readily and regularly. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes, not mine. See, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan Dan to Beersheba, Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. You see, he passed the test. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Okay, we're going to move. There's four things I want you to know about this story. Here's the first one. There's a person. That person is named Jesus Christ, and he is a person. God is a person. What does that mean? Well, he has a personality. Now, how many of you have a personality? Okay, yeah, you do. You do have a personality, whether you don't know or not. His personality interacts with your personality. That means you can have a personal relationship with him. He, He talks to you. He listens to you. He knows you, and he loves you. He calls you by name. But look, when you turn to this person, you have to turn away from the world. Now that's easy enough to say, but it's a whole other thing to do. Eli was the person that Samuel needed to turn away from to turn to God. He kept going to Eli instead of going to God. And Eli finally, as a mentor, said, stop coming to me, go to him. I wonder how many of us are running to other people, places, and things for life when it's really God who's calling us. Now, let me tell you how God calls you. Here's one way. How many of you in the past week have been frustrated? How many of you have been disillusioned or disappointed with another person, place, or thing? Raise your hand. Okay, that's God calling you. That's God calling you. You know why? When you're disappointed or disillusioned with another person, place, or thing, he's saying, this will never be enough for you. Only I am. So when you're disappointed, when you're in despair, when you're actually in disillusionment, that is an absolute call from God for you to go to him. And we need to identify the voice of God in our lives. Now look, turning to Jesus is one of the most beautiful things you can ever do because he loves you and he longs to set you free. And he will speak to you. But I'm going to be honest with you. If you develop a personal relationship with him where you're hearing his voice and actually listening to him, especially through the word of God, and it's transforming you, you are going to tick off and frustrate and possibly enrage one particular group of people, and they are called religious people. Religious people will get really, really frustrated with you if you know Jesus. You know why? Your relationship interferes with their rules. And their rules are what they use to maintain control, or at least an illusion of control. This is why Jesus ticked off the religious leaders so much, because he had a relationship with his Abba, his Papa in heaven. And it violated their rules. You realize there was a rule against spitting on the ground during the Sabbath, and Jesus spit on the ground to make mud to heal a man's eyes? He was like, in your face, Pharisees. You realize there was rules against things like, you know, um, working on the Sabbath, 
And you realize there were things about washing hands, and they were constantly coming to him. And they were enraged by him to the point where they actually hung him on a cross. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your life will radically change. And if you listen to him personally speak to you, he's going to change you from the inside out. He is going to transform you by the renewing of your mind. But I will tell you this, you will become so free that you will tick off religious people. So there's much more we could go into, but I'm going to transition now to this. You see, there's a place, there's a posture, there's practices, and there's a person. All that, by the way, we'll be going over Wednesday night together, particularly the practices. How do I hear God's voice? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm going to be sharing with you things that I practice and practices that I've learned about how to hear God's voice. And remember, it's, it's grace. It's the grace of God that he would speak to you but it's your discipline that postures you before him to hear his voice. This posture, though, is very important. It's seeking, it's attentive, and it's obedient. Seeking, attentive, and obedient. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Here's the first one, seeking. Speak, Lord. Listen to what the scripture says in Jeremiah 29. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Listen to Matthew 7, the words of Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks will find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Listen to Revelation 3.20, and this is written to believers. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. Now, this is throughout Scripture. Folks, there's a part for us to play. God is the ultimate seeker. If not for him wanting you, you would not be wanting him. He is the one who sought you out and saved you and delivered you. But he wants you to return to him and seek him with all your heart. I want you to listen to this very, very carefully. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear this. If you are not spending regular, consistent time with Jesus Christ hearing his voice. You are not appropriating the very thing that he died to give you. I'm going to say that again. If you are not spending regular, consistent time with Jesus Christ, hearing the voice of God through the word of God and listening to him, you are not appropriating the very thing that he died to give you. He died to give you a relationship with himself. And this this is made available to us through the blood of Jesus. So God begs us, please come to me. Just come to me and I'll be with you and I'll be your God and you will be my person and I will make you lie down in green pastures. I will lead you beside quiet waters. I am the one who will restore your soul. So many of us think it's found somewhere else. So we're called to seek the Lord and we'll be going over that more on Wednesday nights. We're called to listen, to be attentive. So... Say this word after me, seeking. You're a little sleepy. Say this word, attentive. attentive. All right, so it's better. So give ear, and, give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my words. He who is of God hears the words of God. Moreover, he said to them, son of man, take into your heart all my words that I will speak to you and listen closely. This is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, look, I'm sure Samuel, when he heard from God, roll out this whole thing about Eli, don't you think he kind of at least maybe thought, is there anybody else up there that I can talk to? 
Have you ever had that experience with God where you actually hear from him and you go, can you tell me something else? I, I, I really don't want to hear that right now, God. Like when you're so frustrated with your husband or your wife and you want God to change them or zap them or do something. And then you go to God and he says, you're the one who needs to change. And you go, oh God, can you please tell me something else? No, Jeff, I love you, but I'm God you're not. So listening requires a posture that acknowledges who it is that we're hearing from. So Wednesday nights, I'm asking you to bring a Bible and I'm asking you to bring a journal. This is my recent journal. I, I, I don't know, I maybe have 100 of these things, but this is how I talk and hear from God. And I'll tell you how I started journaling years ago. My mind was really depraved. I won't ask you to hold up your hand, but you know, when I first came to Christ, 30-some years ago, 35, 36 years ago, I was a sex addict, I was an alcoholic, I was, I was just burnt out and my brain was all over the place. It was just a mess, a mess, a mess. And I went to the book of Romans and I read these words. Um, Since they did not count it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And I went, oh my gosh, like, God, you're speaking to me. Jeff, since you did not count it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of me, to actually hold on to it, I've given you over to a depraved mind because that's what you're seeking anyway. I've given you over that to do what ought not to be done. Now, God, why did you do that? Well, Jeff, so that you'd fall on your butt hard enough that you'd look up and come back to me. See, that's how God speaks to you through his word. And so at that time, I started counting it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. You can talk to my wife about this. This lays on my nightstand. God has a horrible way of waking me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. How dare he? But he does. He wakes me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I go over and start actually journaling at 3 o'clock in the morning. Why? Because I want to count it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. See, God wants you to do that. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to listen. And when you do listen, the scripture says that he will reveal to you great and unsearchable things. Let me give you a little example. I've worked through the book of Matthew here in the last month or so. I'm going to try and get to that page so I can actually keep track of all of these. So, okay, so in verse chapter 2, he told me to memorize this verse. But you, Bethlehem, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. And then I remembered that passage that said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you know what God was saying to me that day? You know why? Because I felt like I was worth nothing. I felt like nothing good could ever come from me. I felt like, God, you can't use me. You can't use me. And when he spoke to me, he said, oh, but Jeff, this is the way so many people felt in Bethlehem. This is the way so many people about Nazareth. Guess what I did in Bethlehem? I brought Jesus out of Bethlehem. And guess what? I've put Jesus Christ in you. I've put Jesus Christ in you. I've put the shepherd in you, Jeff. And so that took me then to Psalm 23 because then I thought about shepherd. This is the Lord Jesus Christ is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to feast on the word of God. I'm starting to chew on the word of God with Jesus. I'm eating with him. I'm having this incredible feast. And he's revealing to me all these beautiful things because he's speaking right to my heart. Does God speak to you that way? Are you listening? 
Are you listening to him? Believe me, he will take you on an amazing journey. I could tell you scripture after scripture. I'll just tell you one more. Okay, one more. This is chapter three where the, the Pharisees, actually, yeah, so it's John the Baptist, right? I see, I see the picture. John the Baptist is in the desert. And these people are coming to him. By the way, he was a desert father. So these people are coming to John, right, to be baptized. And then what, who shows up? The religious folks. And the first thing he says is, you brood of vipers. Who has warned you to flee the coming wrath, but bear fruit in keeping with repentance? You know why Jesus said those words to me? He said, Jeff, you could be a professional religious person. You could be among those who doesn't bear fruit in keeping with turning back to me. You could become so busy with ministry, Jeff, that you forsake your relationship with me. Jeff, come back to me. Come back to me. And then it took me right to Isaiah, right? And in, in repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You know, God says that in Scripture to his people. In repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength. But you, you would have none of it. You're so busy running around, doing all kinds of things. You see, these words are personal, and they are life to those who will Listen, will you listen? Will you listen? When we listen, we have to give up the illusion of control. If you think you're in control of your life, let me give you an idea. It's just an illusion. It's not true. God has proven you wrong so many times when you think you have control. Anybody say amen to that? All right, so I'm just going to give you a little picture about the illusion of control. This is the transfiguration. I'm going to go through it quickly. Matthew 17. You've probably heard these verses before, but guess what? Peter, James, and John are taken by Jesus up to a high mountain by themselves. Just the four of them, right? Jesus and these three dudes that he's actually raising up. There, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. Can you imagine what this looked like? His clothes became as white as light and then just appeared before them Moses and Elijah. This is incredible. The three of them are up there, okay, with Jesus, and they're watching this whole thing. Peter, James, and John unfold before them. And there's Jesus. He's actually transfigured in front of them. And Moses and Elijah come up, and they start having a conversation. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be a little wigged out by this. And I think Peter is. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Now, stop. Do you think Jesus needed to know that? I mean, nobody was even talking to Peter. And then he goes, if you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, this is what Richard Foster calls the sacrifice of fools. Humanly initiated religious talk. Peter is trying to get some measure of control. He's trying to actually play a part so I can, can I be a part of this so I can control it? Like I really, I'm getting a little freaked out here. Lord, I can do something to actually play a part in this. Listen to what happens. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Effectively, Peter, shut your trap. Now, most of the time, it's very rude to interrupt someone. But God is the only one who's allowed to interrupt us. While he was still speaking, God shows up and says, I need to reorient you, Peter. This is not about you having control. Because I'm in control. 
This is my son. I love him. In him I'm well pleased. You need to be quiet and listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. Well, I would think so. They're undone. God has now knocked them on their cans. But Jesus came and touched them. That's so beautiful. You know, so often when Jesus comes to people when they're undone and afraid, the first thing he does is touch them. He says he touched them and he said, get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. Praise God. And I think Jesus was saying to them, you're not in control, but the one who is is good. He's so good and he loves you so much and you can trust him. Don't be afraid, but listen to him. Listen to him. And he will be the one who will guide you in paths of right relating for his namesake. So we're called to seek. We're called to be attentive and listen. And we're called to be obedient. After Samuel said, has the Lord such a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices and obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen is better than the fat of rams. Listen to what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You're not in control, and that's a good thing. Can I ask you, would you consider what the world would be like if you were in control? Can anybody say it would be an absolute disaster? So can I tell you something? It's hard news to hear you're not in control, but it's some of the best news that you'll ever hear because the one who is in control loves you, and he's so good, and he's willing to guide you if we'll just surrender ourselves to him. Obedience is nothing more than surrender. By the way, we live in an upside-down kingdom. The world would never say that surrender is a path to victory. But the scripture is very clear that if you want to experience greater victory in Jesus Christ, you must surrender yourselves to him. That surrender is a beautiful act of a humble heart before God that says this very, very dangerous prayer. Have your way in me. Can you say that with me? Have your way in me. Remember Eli's words. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. I want to ask you today, as the worship team comes back out, to consider Jesus himself. See, Jesus said, I never say anything that the Father's not saying. He said, I only do what the Father's doing. He was consistently in communion, seeking communion with his Father in heaven. He was the most attentive. He listened and he spoke. He listened and he acted. And then he surrendered himself for you. Listen to these words. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus Christ humbled himself for you and died on a cross for you and surrendered himself for you because he loved you that much that he now has made a way for you to come back to him.
I want to ask you today, as we prepare for our worship, and we can start to play a little music in the background, that would be great. I want to ask you, are you tired of trying to live life in your own strength? If you realize today that much of your exhaustion comes from trying to do things your way, according to your plan, according to your own little inside voices, I just want to ask you a question. Are you ready to give that up? Maybe it's a relationship you've been working on. Maybe with a child, maybe with a parent, maybe with a spouse, maybe with a friend. I don't know. But you're just exhausting yourself because you're trying to do it in your own strength. Are you ready to lay that down? And to become attentive to the one who can actually call you to surrender, to actually watch him work, rather than having you try to do the work. I'm going to ask you to do something bold. If you're ready to give up being exhausted by trying to do things in your own strength, would you please kindly stand just to indicate that I need to be done with that. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See, today's a new day. The scripture says that the Lord's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Maybe, maybe you're so tired of hearing the world's voices speak to you, all the lies that come to you so frequently. You're like, God, I need to hear your voice. But you're not willing to set aside time to listen. Make today a new day. Decide today that you're willing to set aside time to start to listen to God speak. God does speak, and he is speaking. The question is, will we listen? So, Lord, we come before you now, and we thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are the word. And that when you speak, you form. You formed universes. You formed worlds, Lord God, just, just as a word from your lips. And in your language, Lord, you speak, speak to form our minds and our hearts into your image. Lord Jesus Christ, help us not to measure victory according to the world's standards. It's not based on who has the most toys or even who has the greatest peace. But rather, kingdom victory is measured by how much our lives are invaded by the one who is love, you. Lord, your love comes to us and your love moves through us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, change our minds. Help us to submit ourselves to you in such a way that you are glorified. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. Let's continue in one last song of worship.